Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. Conversations on key issues and new developments in financial services in Ireland. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. My name is Claire Scannell and I am the professional support lawyer to Matheson's Financial Institutions Group. I was recently joined on the podcast by my colleagues, partners, Darren Mart, Joe Bichel, Neve Mulholland and Ian O'Mara, where we discussed some of the key legal and regulatory developments of 2023, which impacted regulated financial service providers in Ireland. This episode is part of a four-part series derived from that original podcast. In this episode, we're going to reflect on the activities of the central bank, and in particular, our own and our clients' interactions with them across various sectors. I begin by asking Ian O'Mara about his experience in the areas of fintech and payments. Yeah, so 2023 was a very busy year in the fintech sector. During January, we had a new tier CEO letter issued by the central bank addressed to payment and e-money institutions. And that set the ball rolling for an intensive year of supervision. In particular, we had firms having to do a safeguarding audit for the first time around how they handle client monies. And while that took a little bit of time to get up and running by October, all firms had to complete that. And it's very likely that in the coming year, we're going to see a response to what those audits brought to the surface. And it's doubtless going to prompt new approaches to supervision in the months ahead. We've definitely seen a more engaged regulator from the central bank for this sector over the past 12 months. And I I don't see it changing in the coming period. Standards have gone up across the board. And we know that the central bank is taking a really strong interest in the frameworks that firms and boards have in place to manage and monitor their compliance with their regulatory obligations. And these are only becoming more onerous and more stringent. We've seen a proposal for a new PST3 come out earlier in the summer in 2023. And we know that it's going to become a law in the the coming period. So the direction of travel is just more stringent supervision and focus. We've also been engaging with the Central Bank's Innovation Hub because we've seen a lot of our clients who are looking to get licensed for the first time want to understand what the regulator's expectations are there. It's very interesting that in November, the Central Bank made a publication which would, for the first time, introduce a, a regulatory sandbox regime, so to speak. They've published this consultation paper and we're going to see in 2024 the outputs of that consultation. But it'll be an interesting experiment for the central bank in terms of facilitating fintechs, startups, much smaller businesses, I suspect, toy around with regulation for the first time. So it's a really, really interesting year ahead, I think, in in that sense for the fintechs. And ultimately, you know, what we're seeing in the market is a trend towards a growing number of firms in this sector. The regulatory expectations are quite strong. The firms are getting used to that and getting on top of it, I would say, whereas maybe a year or two ago, they were slightly behind it. So it's going to be a very interesting year ahead and uh, certainly an exciting one from where I'm sitting. Great. Thanks, Ian. And uh, that consultation paper will be something that we'll be monitoring. And Joe, I might bring you in there on that point around, you know, the central bank looking to really have a lot more stakeholder engagement as they go through with introducing new guidance and regulations. It seems, you know, nearly every week that central bank's schedule of activities has some reference to a stakeholder forum. What does this tell us about the central bank at the moment, Joe? And and have you heard much from your industry contacts about how that's been going for them? Yeah, thanks, Claire. I mean, it is really interesting and it does certainly mark a change from the approach of the central bank in the past. There was certainly a lot of criticism 
I'd say post-financial crisis in the subsequent years where the central bank, if you like, was quite directive in terms of they, how they managed things and there was not much engagement with, with the regulated and that certainly caused frustrations to build up. But in fairness, I think the central bank has listened to a lot of industry feedback, political feedback and so forth and, and has really started over the past couple of years, not just last year, to open up and establish these stakeholder forums, which are a formal mechanism to communicate the cover things like climate innovation and financial industry forum, if you like. And I think it's evolving. It's been an education, if you like, but the feedback is good. And I think uh, the evidence is that the central bank is listening. I think things that I would point to most uh, particularly, I suppose, is the individual accountability framework and the consultation that was issued there. I haven't actually gone back and done the reconciliation, but I'm sort of working in the area 25 years and we've seen lots of lots of consultation papers and Certainly, the feeling would be, as I haven't done the reconciliation, that the there is never, typically, there isn't a huge difference between the draft issued by the bank and the final version, notwithstanding there might have been lots of, lots of uh, industry feedback and so forth, and uh, contributions and consultations. But on the IF, it's quite different. Uh, it's an important uh, piece of legislation. It's an important development. A lot of firms, ourselves, industry bodies, made submissions. And clearly the central bank did listen because they made substantial changes. And it's this is one of these cases, one of the rare cases possibly, where uh, the final version that's published is significantly different to the, to the first draft. And in fairness to the regulator and Jerry Cross specifically, the head of policy there talked about the fair challenge that was presented. So they clearly listened to what was said and made changes. And in fact, it's not finished yet. There's still some further work to, to be done. So I think there's a a good precedent, I think, there in terms of uh, further ongoing engagement. And I think that augurs well. So I think, you know, things are changing. And the other point I would make is, is you know, they, they've started their annual conference as well, I think, and the Aviva, and, you know, they'll do that again this year. That's a good forum, very high level speakers, and it's really part of their sort of drive to improve stakeholder engagement and stakeholder knowledge, I think, of, of what they're doing and why they're doing it, if you like. So I think all that's to be recommended. It's really travelling in the right direction. So I guess in terms of this year and beyond, that's a good thing. Great, Joe. And I suppose you mentioned the IAF there and Neva might be remiss not to bring you in at this point on, on that. I know it's January. Has the dust settled a little bit? Do we know where we're going with this? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Claire. So obviously firms have been working for quite a while alongside the Department of Finance, the Central Bank. I mean, this has been a real topic of conversation for the last number of years, if we're honest. And second, as we always say to clients, it's not a blank sheet of paper. So certainly clients had a lot to leverage in terms of their own policies, procedures, operating processes, but also value statements. So their own internal corporate and individual values were brought to the forefront in adopting IAF. So you're right in that, you know, there's a lot of dust settled on the fitness and probity aspect of it, on the conduct aspect of it. That was certainly the big piece of work in 2023 in the core area of focus. And then through into 2024, you have the SEER, the Senior Executive Accountability Regime, that the first deadline for that is the 1st of July of this year. So firms will be working towards that. To pick up on Joe's point, actually, that's not the deadline for non-executive directors. So that was one of the key points the central bank took up in terms of the feedback to its consultation. And it was really helpful actually to see that dialogue because there was a lot of arguments both ways for inclusion and non-inclusion. So there's a constructive and mindful approach, I would say, in that it's a deferral to see how the regime goes for the first year to the 1st of July 2025 before the question about the inclusion of non-executive directors is, is considered. So I think that's really responsible and responsive and shows kind of the innate dynamic nature of the regime. So that continuation will be a 
trend for 2024. A lot of groundwork was done in 2023 for SEER, for those in-scope firms, because naturally the requirements of fitness and probity, the requirements and conduct cannot be seen in a siloed or an independent way to those of, of SEER. So management responsibility maps have all been started in 23. and we'd expect to see those developed out further. And then the final piece, of course, is, you know, the test of their regime the points of implementation, they will all take form uh, in 24 because the idea here is, is that you can't really test the embeddedness of something until you do your first set of performance reviews, you go through your first certification process. So the app, the tangible application and the move from implementation to embeddedness will start in 2024 just with those live test cases, if you like, and the responses to those and then the feedback loop, as we would talk about quite a bit, into the regulator to say, this doesn't work and here are a couple of really good reasons why or this doesn't work for this firm. And if you take all those three points together, you should end up with quite a mature regime coming into 2025. Great. And I think that point that you made there around the constructive dialogue with the bank is going to be really, really important. Speaking about dialogue with the bank, Darren, I might bring you in here. On the insurance side, what have you found from interactions? I know particularly in the broker market, we've seen a lot of action with the bank. Hi, Claire. So I think from the insurance side, the most interesting development in the market over the past number of years has been the aggregation in the insurance broker sector. It was a sector, I think, that was ripe for aggregation. You had a lot of smaller brokers around the country and you've a lot of money being deployed from the UK in particular, looking to aggregate those businesses and bring them under a single roof. Uh, We've seen a lot of competition for acquisition uh, and a lot of acquisitions that have taken place over the course of the last number of years. We now get to a point where all of those particular aggregators are looking to integrate those businesses that they have acquired. And so for them, the next step will be to ensure that they bring the central bank on that particular journey. I think there's a number of areas where the regulator will be interested to see how those integrations are carried out. I think the first one will be from a compliance perspective. If you're bringing a large number of policyholders into a single entity, it's the communication with the policyholder. So the policyholder understanding that going forward, albeit their policy remains with the insurer, the advice that they're getting from the broker is now from a single broker. It's a different broker who will be operating kind of a different model. And so it may be really important that the customers understand through a really detailed communication plan that I think will have to be shared with the regulator as to who the broker is going forward, the type of advice that they can expect. That'll be, the re, I think, the most important part uh, from the central bank's perspective. On the journey to acquisition, some of these brokers, not all of them, in order to buy them, you do need central bank consent, depending on the type of authorization that they have. Some of them still have the old IIA or Investment Intermediaries Act authorization, and therefore change of control provisions did apply. So for the most part, the regulator will be aware of the activity. But again, for any new entity entering the Irish market, they may have completed their acquisitions, but they'll have to demonstrate to the regulator their real commitment now to policyholder protection, to policyholder engagement, and to making sure that their policyholders are getting best in class advice going forward. So that'll be really important. Okay, thanks, Darren. Niamh, actually, just might bring you in here at this point on the banking side. What have you seen with the regulator? Anything in particular that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, given the centrality of the banking sector, not just to financial services, but also to our daily lives, there's always a panoply of issues and questions to be worked through in, in any one year. I think 2023 was interesting because at the beginning of the year, we saw both the continuation of the discussion, but some real life practical examples of the themes and issues that were articulated 
in the uh, Department of Finance Retail Banking Review, which was published in 2022. Uh, and as we know, kind of three things that came out of that. One was the idea of access to cash. Um, the other is just the availability of, of retail banking services, which is interesting when you contrast the conversations we have typically with clients and, and Ian's clients in particular, but digital banking. This was a real focus area about you know, branch networks, etc. And finally, the idea of competition. So when you take those themes and actually have the reality of the withdrawal of Ulster Bank and KBC hitting earlier in the year and the massive undertaking that was the switching programmes in respect of that, the cost of living crisis naturally focused a lot of the retail banks' views on customer-led internal policies, approaches, making sure that people had what they, they needed and they were adaptive to those kind of prevailing circumstances. And, you know, I think I would pick up on what we've already said about the individual accountability framework, which is that customer-focused approach is central and is an underlying foundation to that. And in fairness, the banks individually have been really engaged in culture and in terms of, you know, client service. It's really interesting to see the work that they've also done in tandem with the Irish Banking Culture Review Board. They've produced their report this year showing that there's actually a 10% increase in trust in retail banks, um, which is really interesting and slight more nudge in favour of the branches trust levels rather than banking as a whole. So all moving in the right direction in terms of, of retail, but definitely a challenging prevailing environment and, and the retail banks have to continue to keep a focus on Z culture and consumer-led delivery. In terms of the EU and the broader picture, the end of 2023 was the implementation date for the EU intermediate holding company legislation. So that was incredibly complex legislation aimed at achieving a very simple idea, which is that for a certain number of third country banking groups, they essentially needed to have an EU parent. So what does that do? It enabled a single consolidated supervisory regime to be applied to those entities rather than a multitude of national competent authorities regulating these groups in, in Europe. So it sounds simple and it sounds like a good idea, but underneath that there was an awful lot of reorganisations, uh, a lot of organisational design changes for enormous um, international banking groups. And it is important to note that when you have a policy change and a legislative change that hits the reality of such a group. So you're talking about capital, you're talking about consolidation, both accounting and reporting. Um, you're also talking about governance and risk and control ar architecture. So it's really important to have regulators that are very in tune with those issues and how banks resolve those. And I definitely think we saw a great example in 23, both the European Central Bank and the Central Bank of Ireland being very open, being very constructive as the banks navigated their way through these changes in order to hit the uh, date of the 29th of December. That's a very good news story. Joe, surely it can't all be plain sailing. There has to have been some challenges. Anything that comes to mind? Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose there's a perennial authorization process. I mean, across various different authorization types, it just isn't as good as it could be or should be. I think the bank uh, has been much more transparent, and Ian mentioned it earlier, in terms of outlining its expectations. And we do with the bank all the time. We're pretty clear on what the regulator needs, needs to see. And, and we work with clients, obviously, to build that. And, and I think that's fine. The vast majority of our clients are looking for authorizations to access the European market. One of the many reasons they come here is because of the credible regulator. And, and, and that's a good thing. So nobody has a problem with high standards. I think the issues are, I think, probably twofold. One is probably, um, I call it operational. It just could be a more efficient uh, system. Uh, things like coordinating of internal comments. Uh, we, we get comments from different subject matter expert teams within the bank as opposed to sort of one set of comments from the bank, which we reply to. And then another set comes back, if you like. And, and that that's a challenge because people 
don't quite know where they are in the system then they get a set of comments and then they're told there's another set coming and then it can be difficult to figure out where you are in the process and then that itself can be a problem then you're working your way through the process and actually maybe the case officer is pretty finished and done with their comments and then it can be a long time too long to get the actual piece of paper and that's because the central bank has its own governance which is fine uh, they have to have their own governance if you like they are the important we, we understand they exercise an important gatekeeper role but there's next to no transparency on that process you know who's involved in it what has to be done how long it takes how far am i away because a lot of clients have things lined up and they need to know when to press go if you like operation if you like and and, and that can be very difficult and i think there's a sense of frustration that there isn't a, an appreciation on the part of the the regulator as to those kind of balls that are being juggled if you like and um, so i think you know the i think the actual engagement process the types of questions the quality of the like a scrutiny from the bank is good and high nothing wrong with that everyone's high standards but i think really just the sort of the, the project management, if I can call it, that of the overall, let's say, authorization projects could be a lot better. But I think to sort of build on the comments that I um, opened with, if you like, my initial question, we have been able to make those comments and they have listened, if you like. So, I mean, I, I think I'd be sort of forcefully optimistic, if you like, to think that we will, you know, see some improvements in that area, if you like. Other things, I, again, I think, you know, changes to existing permissions, it's similarly I'd say the same comments. It can be a little difficult to know how far you are, how long it's going to take. What I would say that is very good and it's been consistently good over many years is the actual change of control process. So we do get feedback from other jurisdictions where it can be difficult to predict the change of control process. Do they get a sick? Can they get a case officer? Can it go quickly? I think in my career, I can't think of any M&A transaction that was frustrated by the fact that the central bank didn't deliver its approval on time. They're very open and very clear on, on the requirements, if you like. And as long as everyone you know plays ball and provides the documents they need, I think they do that really, really well. And so it's, it's never the central bank that holds up even a multi-jurisdictional M&A project. And that, that's great. They do that well. And then the other piece, I suppose, that I would have seen last year and expected this year and, and the year before that a bit is, is the amount of kind of direct interviews with the bank for PCF positions, whether that's party authorization process or internal, you know, new promotions, if you like. That's something, you know, we would help those applicants a lot the line I use all the time is nobody ever said I wish I prepared less for that centre bank meeting mm. and people do put the time in even the most senior people put a lot of time into these things and it's the right thing to do it's a practice area that didn't exist several years ago and it, it is um, something that people do focus on because the centre bank does does refuse people sometimes it's these sort of uh, the phone call or email I don't think that person, you sure you want to put that person forward as opposed to a, a formal no, but it obviously amounts to the same thing. So th I think that's a trend that will continue and people still need to focus on that. And, and we see that in terms of prism into preparations. I mean, people, as you'd expect, take interactions with the central bank very seriously. So I think they they do the PCF interviews well, consistently, and they're pretty predictable in terms of, of how they'll approach it. And that allows fairness in terms of how they're dealing with it. But people do take the time and it pays off. If you don't take the time, you won't get approved. Strikes me the one area we haven't really touched on in terms of central bank's activities is right enforcement. And is it fair to say it's been relatively quiet on the enforcement prohibition notice side of things? And I appreciate that's not necessarily indicative of the bank not doing their job, but is this been driven by the reforms that we're expecting shortly on the ASP and are they maybe holding out until the new regime is in place? Yeah, context is all important here, Claire, I agree. So it is true to say that 2023 was not as active a year 
as we would have seen in previous years in terms of sanctioned notices, etc. being published. However, the changes that have been brought about in the individual accountability framework that speak to the investigation and enforcement powers of the central bank are fairly extensive and they're quite material. And in fairness to the central bank, they also produced in a very quick turnaround time a consultation on the administrative sanctions regime. So, you know, that takes a lot of dedicated effort and focused time. And I think we have to be very clear from the outset that this takes the administrative sanctions procedure onto a statutory footing for the first time. So that in and of itself will mean that the bank will had to look at its caseload, had to look at the new requirements and um, that had come in under, under the Act. So what's the most pertinent? The split, the independence requirement between the investigatory and the inquiry teams in the central bank. So that's very significant. Outlining the criteria that the bank would have regard to when determining the sanction against an individual. All of these from a process point of view in any institution would take time to adopt. And certainly you would imagine that they would want to get comfortable that all the cases they're working on, and we we know that they are working on cases. So, you know, it's not a case, as you say, of pens down, but they will have to just put those cases through the lens of the, of the new requirements. So I think, you know, you'll see this year potentially you know, a step back up again in some of those which would maybe in the normal course have been published in 2023, but for the legislative change. But it's definitely a space to watch. And I expect the interaction on the consultation paper to be very active in the first part of this year. Some interesting observations there, which we hope you found useful. To listen to the full podcast, please check out the link included in the description of this podcast. And for the best way for our listeners to keep up to date on legal and regulatory developments throughout 2024, check out the Financial Institutions Group's weekly Top 5 at 5 email. FIG's Top 5 at 5 is a complimentary weekly subscription service where our subject matter experts highlight five of the previous week's key financial services developments. If you're not subscribed and you would like to be, please reach out to myself and we will have you added to that list. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Join us next time on Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. Thanks for listening to Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. For more information on issues raised in this podcast or for any general queries, you can contact claire.scannell at matheson.com or visit our website at matheson.com.